things to think of first a four word the efficiency of a book is like that of a man in one important respect its attitude towards a subject is the first source of its power a book may be full of good ideas well expressed but if its writer views his subject from the wrong angle even his excellent advice may prove to be ineffective this book stands or falls by its author's attitude towards its subject if the best way to teach oneself or others to speak effectively in public is to fill the mind with rules and to set up fixed standards for the interpretation of thought the utterance of language the making of gestures and all the rest then this book will be limited in value to such stray ideas throughout its pages as may prove helpful to the reader as an effort to enforce a group of principles it must be reckoned a failure because it is then untrue it is of some importance therefore to those who take up this volume with one open mind that they should see clearly at the outstart what is the thought that at once underlies and is builded through this structure in plain words it is this Training in public speaking is not a matter of externals primarily. It is not a matter of imitation fundamentally. It is not a matter of conformity to standards at all. Public speaking is public utterance, public issuance of the man himself. Therefore, the first thing both in time and in importance is that the man should be and think and feel things that are worthy of being given forth. unless there is something of value within the notrix of training can never can ever make of a, the talker anything more than a machine albeit a highly perfected machine for the delivery of other men's goods so self development is fundamental in our plan the second principle lies close to the first the man must enthrone his will to rule over his thought his feelings and all his physical power so that the outer self may give perfect unhampered expression to the inner it is futile we assert to lay down systems of rules for voice culture intonation gesture and what not unless these two principles of having something to say the making the will sovereign have the at least begun to make themselves felt in the life the third principle will we summarize arouse no dispute no one can learn how to speak who does not first speak as best he can that may seem like a vicious circle in statement but it will bear examination many teachers have begun with the how vain effort it is an ancient truism that will learn to do by doing The first thing for the beginner in public speaking is to speak not to study voice and gesture and the rest once he has spoken he can improve himself by self observation or according to the criticisms of those who hear but how shall he be able to criticize himself simply by finding out three things what are the qualities which by common consent go to make up an effective speaker by what means at least some of these qualities may be acquired and what wrong habits of speech in himself work against his acquiring and using the qualities which he finds to be good experience then is not only the best teacher but the first 
and the last. But experience must be a dual thing. The experience of others must be used to supplement, correct and justify our own experience. In this way, we shall become our own best critics only after we have trained ourselves in self-knowledge, the knowledge of what other minds think and in the ability to judge ourselves by the standards we have come to believe are right. If I ought, said Kant, I can. An examination of the contents of this volume will show how consistently these articles of faith have been declared, expounded and illustrated. The student is urged to begin to speak at once of what he knows. Then he is given simple suggestions for self-control with gradually increasing emphasis upon the power of the inner man over uh, the outer. Next, the way to be rich storehouses of material is pointed out and finally all the while he is urged to speak. Speak, speak as he is applying to his own methods in his own personal way, the principles he has gathered from his own experience and observation and the recorded experiences of others. So now at the very first, let it be as clear as light that methods are secondary matters. That the full mind, the warm heart, the dominant will are primary. And not only primary but paramount. But unless it, it be a full being that uses the methods, it will be like dressing a wooden image in the clothes of a man. Chapter 1. Acquiring Confidence Before an Audience Students of public speaking continually ask, how can I overcome self-consciousness and the fear that paralyzes me before an audience? Did you ever notice in looking from a train window that some horses feed near the track and never even pause to look up at the thundering cars? While just ahead at the next railroad crossing, a farmer's wife will be nervously trying to quiet her scared horse as the train goes by. How would you cure a horse that is afraid of cars, graze him in a backwoods lot where he would never see steam engines or automobiles or drive or pasture him where he would frequently see the machines? Apply horse sense to ridding yourself of self-consciousness and fear. Face an audience as frequently as you can and you will soon stop shying. You can never attain freedom from stage fright by reading a a book may give you excellent suggestions on how best to conduct yourself in the water, but sooner or later, you must get wet, perhaps even choke and be half scared to death. There are a great many wetless bathing, bathing suits worn at the seashore, but no one ever learns to swim in them. To plunge in the only way. Practice, practice, practice in speaking before an audience will tend to remove all fear of audiences just as practice in swimming will lead to confidence and facility in the water. You must learn to speak by speaking. Do not disheartened if at first you suffer from stage fright. It never hurts a fool to appear before an audience for his capacity is not a capacity for feeling. A blow that would kill a civilized man heals soon on a savage. The higher we go in the scale of life, the greater is the capacity for suffering. 
For one reason or another, some master speakers never entirely overcome stage fright. But it will pay you to spare no pains to conquer it. Daniel Webster failed in his first appearance and had to take his seat without finishing his speech because he was nervous. Gladstone was often troubled with self-consciousness in the beginning of an address. Beecher was always perturbed before talking in public. Blacksmiths sometimes twist a rope tight around the nose of a horse and by thus inflicting a little pain, they distract his attention from the shoeing process. One way to get air out of a glass is to pour in water. Be absorbed by your subject. Apply the blacksmith's homely principle when you are speaking. If you feel deeply about your subject, you will be able to think of little else. Concentration is a process of distraction from less important matters. It is too late to think about the cut of your coat when once you are upon the platform. So center your interest on what you are about to say. Fill your mind with your speech material and like the infilling water in the glass, it will drive out your unsubstantial fears. Self-consciousness is undue consciousness of self and for the purpose of delivery, self is secondary to your subject, not only in the opinion of the audience, but if you are wise in your own to hold any other view to regard yourself as an exhibit instead of as a messenger with a message worth delivering, it is sheer egotism to fill your mind with thoughts of self when a greater thing is there. Truth. Say this to yourself sternly and shame your self-consciousness in questions. If the theater caught fire, you could rush to the stage and shout directions to the audience without any self-consciousness. For the importance of what you were saying would drive all fears, thoughts out of your mind. Far worse than self-consciousness through fear of doing poorly is self-consciousness through assumption of doing well. The first sign of greatness is when a man does not attempt to look and act great. Before you can call yourself a man at all, Kipling assures us, you must not look too good nor talk too wise. Nothing advertises itself so thoroughly as conceit. One may be so full of self as to be empty. Voltaire said, we must conceal self-love, but that cannot be done. You know this is to be true, for you have recognized overweening self-love in others. If you have it, others are seeing it in you. There are things in this world bigger than self and in working for them, self will be forgotten. Or what is better remembered only so as to help us win toward higher things. Have something to say. The trouble with many speakers is that they go before an audience with their minds a blank. It is no wonder that nature abhorring a vacuum fills them with the nearest thing handy, which generally happens to be. I wonder if I am doing this right. How does my hair look? I know I shall fail. Their prophetic souls are sure to be right. It is not enough to be absorbed by your subject to acquire self-confidence. You must have something in which to be confident. You 
If you go before an audience without any preparation or previous knowledge of your subject, you ought to be self-conscious. You ought to be ashamed to steal the time of your audience. Prepare yourself, know what you are going to talk about and in general how you are going to say it. Have you the first few sentences worked out completely so that you may not be troubled in the beginning to find words. Know your subject better than your hearers. Know it and you have nothing to fear. After preparing for success, expect it. Let your bearing be modestly confident, but most of all, be modestly confident within. Overconfidence is bad, but to tolerate premonitions of failure is worse. Any man who thoroughly knows himself must feel true humility. But it is not a humility that assumes a warm like meekness. It is rather a strong, vibrant prayer for greater power for service. Washington Irving once introduced Charles Dickens at a dinner given in the latter's honor. In the middle of his speech, Irving hesitated, became embarrassed and sat down awkwardly. Turning to a friend beside him, he remarked, There, I told you I would fail and I did. If you believe you will fail, there is no hope for you, you will. Rid yourself of this, I am a poor worm in the dust idiom. You are a god with infinite capabilities. All things are ready if the mind be so. The eagle looks the cloudless sun in the face. Assume mastery over your audience. In public speech, as an as in electricity, there is a positive and a negative force. Either you or your audience are going to possess the positive factor. If you assume it, it you can almost invariably make it yours. If you assume the negative, you are sure to be negative. Assuming a virtue or a vice vitalizes it. Summon all your power of self-direction and remember that though your audience is infinitely more important than you, the truth is more important than both of you because it is eternal. If your mind falters in its leadership, the sword will drop from your hands. Your assumption of being able to instruct or lead or inspire a multitude or even a small group of people may appall you as being colossal impudence, as indeed it may be. But having once essayed to speak, be courageous. Be courageous, it lies within you to be what you will. Make yourself be calm and confident. Reflect that your audience will not hurt you. In facing your audience, pause a moment and look them over a hundred chances to one they want you to succeed. For what man is so foolish as to spend his time, perhaps his money, in the hope that you will waste his investment by talking dully? Concluding Hints Do not make haste to begin. Haste shows lack of control. Do not apologize. It ought not to be necessary and if it is, it will not help. Go straight ahead. Take a deep breath, relax and begin in a quiet conversational tone as though you were speaking to one large friend. You will not find it half so bad as you imagined. Really, it is like taking a cold plunge after you are in. The water is fine. In fact, Having spoken a few times, you will even anticipate the plunge with 
exhilaration to stand before an audience and make them think your thoughts after you is one of the greatest pleasures you can ever know so cast out fear for fear is cowardly when it is not mastered the bravest know fear but they do not yield to it face your audience pluckily if your knee quack make them stop in your audience lies some victory for you and the cause you represent go win it suppose columbus had feared to venture out into the unknown west suppose our forefathers had been too timid to oppose the tyranny of george the 3 suppose that any man who ever did anything worthwhile had been a coward the world owes its progress to the men who have dared and you must dare to speak the effective word that is in your heart to speak go often it requires courage to utter a single sentence but remember that men erect no monuments and weave no laurels for those who fear to do what they can is all this unsympathetic do you say man what you need is not sympathy sympathy but a push no one doubts that temperament and nerves and illness and even praiseworthy modesty may singly or combined cause the speaker's cheek to blanch before an audience but neither can anyone doubt that coddling will magnify this weakness the victory lies in a fearless frame of mind Professor Walter Dill Scott says success or failure in business is caused more by mental attitude than by mental capacity banish the fear attitude acquire the confident attitude and remember that the only way to acquire it is to acquire it in this foundation chapter we have tried to strike the tone of much that it is to follow many of these ideas will be amplified and enforced in a more specific way but through all these chapters on the art of public speaking which could even be more powerful than the public press the note is justifiable self confidence must come up again and again chapter 2 the sin of monotony our english has changed with the year so that many words now connote more than they did originally This is true of the word monotonous form from having but one tone it has come to mean more broadly lack of variation the monotonous speaker not only drones along in the same volume and pitch of tone but uses always the same emphasis the same speed the same thoughts or dispenses with thought altogether emerson says the virtue of art lies in detachment in sequestering one object from the embarrassing variety that is just what the monotonous speaker fails to do he does not detach one thought or phrase from another they are all expressed in the same manner to tell you that your speech is monotonous they mean very little to you so let us look at the nature and the curse of monotony in other spheres of life then we shall appreciate more fully how it will blight and otherwise good speech if the victrola in the adjoining apartment plays just three songs over and over again it is pretty safe to assume that your neighbor has no other records 
If a speaker uses only a few of his powers, it points very plainly to the fact that the rest of his powers are not developed. Monotony reveals our limitations. In its effect on its victim, monotony is actually deadly. It will drive the bloom from the cheek and the luster from the eye as quickly as sin and often leads to viciousness. So, this thing that shortens life and is used as the most cruel of punishments in our prisons is the thing that will destroy all the life and force of a speech. Avoid it as you would shun a deadly dull bore monotony is poverty, whether in speech or in life. Strive to increase the variety of your speech as the businessman labors to augment his wealth. Bird songs, forest glens, and mountains are not monotonous. It is the long rows of brown stone fronts and the miles of paved streets that are so terribly same. Nature in his wealth gives us endless variety. Man with his limitations is often monotonous. Get back to nature in your methods of speech making. The power of variety lies in its pleasure-giving quality. The great Truths of the world have often been couched in fascinating stories, less miserables, for instance. If you wish to teach or influence men, you must please them. First or last, strike the same note on the piano over and over again. This will give you some idea of the displeasing, jarring effect monotony has on the ear. The dictionary defines monotonous as being synonymous with wearisome. That is putting it mildly. It is maddening. The department store prince does not disgust the public by playing only the one tune. Come buy my wares. He gives rec. Kittles on a dollar one lakh twenty five thousand organ, and the pleased people naturally slip into a buying mood. How to conquer monotony? We obviate monotony in dress by repl replenishing our wardrobes. We avoid monotony in speech by multiplying our powers of speech. We multiply our powers of speech by increasing our tools. The carpenter has special implements with which to construct the several parts of a building. The organist has certain keys and stops which he manipulates to produce his harmonies and effects in like manner. The speaker has certain instruments and tools at his command by which he builds his argument plays on the feelings and guides the beliefs of his audience to give you a conception of these instruments and practical help in learning to use them are the purposes of the immediately following chapters. It is useless to shoe a dead horse and all the sound principles of Christendom will never make a live speech out of the dead one. So let it be understood that public speaking is not a matter of mastering a few dead rules. The most important law of public speech is the necessity for truth, force, feeling and life. Forest all else but not this when you have mastered the mechanics of speech outlined in the next few chapters you will no longer be troubled with monotony. The complete knowledge of these principles and the ability to apply them will give you great variety in your powers of expression, but they cannot be mastered and applied by thinking or reading about them. You must practice, practice, practice. If no one else will listen to you, listen to yourself. You must always be your own best critic and the service 
and the severest one of all. The technical principles that we lay down in the following chapters are not arbitrary creation of your of our own. They are all founded on the practices that good speakers and actors adopt either naturally and unconsciously or under instruction in getting their effects. It is useless to warn the student that he must be natural. To be natural may be to be monotonous. The little strawberry up in the arctics with a few tiny seeds and an Acid tang is, is a natural berry, but it is not to be compared with the improved variety that we enjoy here. The dwarfed oak on the rocky hillside is natural, but a poor thing compared with the beautiful tree found to be rich, moist bottomlands. Be natural, but improve your natural gifts until you have approached the ideal. For we must strive after idealized nature in fruit tree and speech. Chapter 3 Efficiency Through Emphasis and Subordination In a word, the principle of emphasis is followed best not by remembering particular rules but by being full of a particular feeling. C.S. Baldwin Writing and Speaking The gun that scatters too much does not bag the birds. The same principle applies to speech. The speaker that fires his force and emphasis at random into a sentence will not get results. Not every word is of special importance, therefore only certain words demand emphasis. You say Massachusetts and Minneapolis, you do not emphasize each syllable alike, but hit the accented syllable with force and hurry over the unimportant ones. Now, why do you not apply this principle in speaking a sentence? To some extent you do in ordinary speech, but do you in public discourse? It is there that monotony caused by lack of emphasis so painfully apparent so far as emphasis is concerned. You may consider the average sentence as just one big word with the important word as the accented syllable. Note the following. Destiny is not a matter of chance, it is a matter of choice. You might as well say Massachusetts, emphasizing every syllable equally, as to lay equal stress on each word in the foregoing sentences, speak it aloud and see. Of course, you will want to emphasize destiny for it is the principal idea in your declaration and you will put some emphasis on not, else your Hearers may think you are affirming that destiny is the matter of chance. But by all means, you must emphasize chance for it is the one of the two big ideas in the statement. Another reason why chance takes emphasis, emphasis is that it is contrasted with choice in the next sentence. Obviously, the author has contrasted these ideas purposely so that they might be more empathic. And here we see that contrast is one of the very first devices to gain emphasis. As a public speaker, you can assist this emphasis of contrast with your voice. If you say, my horse is not black, what color immediately comes into your mind? White naturally for that it is opposite of black. If you wish to bring out the thought that destiny is a matter of choice, you can do so more effectively by first saying that destiny is not a matter of chance. It is the color of the horse impressed upon us more empathetically when you say my horse is not black, he is white.
then it would be hearing you assert merely that your horse is white in the second sentence of the statement there is only one important word choice it is the one word that positively defines the quality of the subject being discussed and the author of those lines desired to bring it out empathetically as he has shown by contrasting it with another idea these lines then would read like this destiny is not a matter of chance it is a matter of choice now read this over striking the word in capitals with a great deal of force in almost every sentence there are a few mountain peak words that represent the big important ideas when you pick up the evening paper you can tell at a glance which are the important news articles thanks to the editor he does not tell about a hold up in hong kong in the same sized type as he uses to report the death of five firemen in your home city size of type is his device to show emphasis in bold relics he brings out sometimes even in red headlines the striking news of the day it would be a boon to speech making if speakers would conserve the attention of their audiences in the same way and emphasize only the words representing the important ideas the average speaker will deliver the foregoing line on destiny with about the same amount of emphasis on each word instead of saying it is a matter of choice he will deliver it it is a matter of choice or it is a matter of choice both equally bad Charles Dana the famous editor of the New York Sun told one of his reporters that if he went up the street and was a dog bite and saw a dog bite a man to pay no attention to it the sun could not afford to waste the time and attention of its readers on such unimportant happenings but said Mr Dana if you see a man bite a dog hurry back to the office and write the story of course that is news that is unusual now the speaker who says it is a matter of choice is putting too much emphasis upon things that are of no more importance to metropolitan readers than a dog bite and when he fails to emphasize choice he is like the reporter who passes up the man's biting a dog the ideal speaker makes his big words stand out like mountain peaks his unimportant words are submerged like stream beds his big thoughts stand like huge oaks his ideas of no special value are merely like the grass around the trees from all this we may deduce this important principle emphasis is a matter of contrast and comparison recently the new york american featured an editorial by arthur brisbane note the following printed in the same type as given here we do not know what the president thought when he got the message or what the elephant thinks when he sees the mouse but we do know what the president did the thought the words thought and did immediately catch the readers attention because they are different from the others not especially because they are larger but if the rest of the words in the sentence were made 10 times as large as they are and did and thought were kept at their present size they would still be empathetic because different
to make a word empathic deliver it differently from the manner in which the words surrounding it are delivered if you have been talking loudly utter the emphatic word in a concentrated whisper and you have intense emphasis if you have been going fast go very slow on the emphatic word if you have been talking on a low pitch jump to a high one on the emphatic word if you have been talking on a high pitch take a low one on your emphatic ideas read the chapters of inflection feeling pause chance of pitch change of tempo each of these will explain in detail how to get emphasis through the use of a certain principle in this chapter however we are considering only one form of emphasis that of applying force to the important word and subordinating the unimportant words do not forget this is one of the main methods that you must continually employ in getting your efforts let us not confound loudness with emphasis to yell is not a sign of e- earnestness intelligence or feeling the kind of force that we want applied to the empathic word is not entirely physical true or empathic word may be spoken more loudly or it may be spoken more softly but the real quality desired in intensity earnestness it must come from within outward last night a speaker said the curse of this country is not a lack of education it's politics he emphasized curse lack education politics the other words were hurried over and thus given no comparative importance at all the word politics was flamed out with great feeling as he slapped his hands together indi genently he emphasis was both correct and powerful he concentrated all our attention on the words that meant something instead of holding it up on such words as of this a uh, of its what would you think of a guy who agreed to show new york to a stranger and then took up his time by visiting chinese laundries and boot blacking parlor parlors on the side streets there is only one excuse for the speakers asking the attention of his audience he must have either truth or entertainment for them if he varies their attention with trifles they will have neither vivacity nor desire left when he reaches words of wall street and skyscraper importance you do not dwell on these small words in your everyday conversation because you are not a conversational before conversational bore apply the correct method of everyday speech to the platform as we have noted elsewhere public speaking is very much like conversation enlarged Sometimes for big emphasis it is advisable to lay stress on every single syllable in a word and absolutely as in the following sentence I absolutely refuse to grant your demand now and then this principle should be applied to an empathic sentence by stressing each word it is a good device for exciting special attention and it furnishes a pleasing variety for instance this sentence could be delivered in that manner very effectively give me liberty or give me death of course 
there are many ways of delivering it. It is only one of several good interpretations that might be chosen. Strongly emphasizing a single word has a tendency to suggest its antithesis. Notice how the meaning changes by merely putting the emphasis on different words in the following sentence. The parenthetical expressions would really not be needed to supplement the empathetic, empathic word words. I intended to buy a house this spring even if you did not. I intended to buy a house this spring but something prevented. I intended to buy a house this spring instead of renting as heretofore. I intended to buy a house this spring and not an automobile. I intended to buy a house this spring instead of next spring. I intended to buy a house this spring instead of instead of in the autumn. When a great battle is reported in the papers, they do not keep emphasizing the same facts over and over again. They try to get new information or a new slant. The news that takes an important place in the morning edition will be re relegated to a small space in the late afternoon edition. We are interested in new ideas and new facts. This principle has a very important bearing in determining your emphasis. Do not emphasize the same idea over and over again unless you desire to lay extra stress on it. Senator Thurston desired to put the maximum amount of emphasis on force in his speech. Note how force is emphasized repeatedly as a general rule. However, the new idea, the new slant, whether in a newspaper report or a battle of the speaker's enunciation of his ideas is empathic. You must understand that there are no still repeated rules of emphasis. It is not always possible to designate which word must and which must not be emphasized. One speaker will put one interpretation on a speech. Another speaker will use different emphasis to bring out a different interpretation. No one can say that one interpretation is right and the other wrong. This principle must be borne in mind in all our marked exercises. Here your own intelligence must guide and greatly to your profit. Chapter 4 Efficiency Through Change of Pitch Speech is simply a modified form of singing, the principal difference being in the fact that in singing the vowel sounds are prolonged and the intervals are short, whereas in speech the words are uttered in what may be called staccato tones. The vowels not being specially prolonged and the intervals being the words being more distinct. The fact that in singing we have a larger range of tones does not properly distinguish it from ordinary speech. In speech we have likewise a variation of tones and even in ordinary conversation there is a difference of from 3 to 6 semitones as I have found in my investigations. And in some persons, the range is as high as one octave. William Skepegrel, Popular Science Monthly. By pitch, as everyone knows, we mean the relative position of a vocal tone as high, medium, low, or any variation between. In public speech, we apply it not only to a single utterance as an exclamation or a monosyllable 
oh or the but to any group of syllables words and even sentences that may be spoken in a single tone this distinction and is it is important to keep in mind for the efficient speaker not only changes the pitch of successive syllables but gives a different pitch to different parts of word groups of successive sentences it is this phase of the subject which we are considering in this chapter every change in the thought demands a change in the voice pitch whether the speaker follows the rule consciously unconsciously or subconsciously this is the logical basis upon which all good voice variation is made yet this law is violated more often than any other by public speakers a criminal may disregard a law of the state without detection and punishment but the speaker who violates this regulation suffers its penalty at once in his loss of effectiveness while his innocent hearers must endure the monotony for monotony it is is not only a sin of the perpetrator as we have shown but a plague on the victims as well change of pitch is a stumbling block for almost all beginners and for many experienced speakers also this is especially true when the words of the speech have been memorized if you wish to hear how pitch monotony sounds strike the same note on the piano over and over again you have in your speaking voice a range of pitch from high to low with a great many shades between the extremes with all these notes available there is no excuse for offending the ears and taste of your audience by continually using one note true the reiteration of the same tone and music as a pedal point on an organ composition may be made the foundation of beauty for the harmony weaving about that one basic tone produces a consistent in insistent quality not felt in pure variety of chord sequences in a like manner the intoning voice in a ritual may though it rarely does possesses a solemn beauty but the public speaker should shun the monotone as he would a pestilence continual change of pitch in nature's highest method in our search for the principles of efficiency we must continually go back to nature listen really listen to the birds sing which of these feathered tribes are most pleasing in their vocal efforts those whose voices though sweet have little or no range or those that like the canary the lark and the nightingale not only possesses a considerable range but utter their notes in continual variety of combinations even a sweet toned chirp when reiterated without change may grow maddening to the enforced listener the little child seldom speaks in a monotonous pitch observe the conversations of little folks that you hear on the street or in the home and note the continual change of pitch the unconscious speech of most adults is likewise full of pleasing variations imagine someone speaking the following and consider it the effect would not be just about as indicated remember we are now discussing the inflection of single words 
but the general pitch in which phrases are spoken high pitch i would like to leave for my vacation tomorrow lower still i have so much to do higher yet i suppose if i wait until i have time i will never go repeat this first in the pitches indicated and then all in the one pitch as many speakers would observe the difference in naturalness of effect the following exercise should be spoken in a purely conversational tone with numerous changes of pitch practice it until you your delivery would cause a stranger in the next room to think you were discussing an actual incident with a friend instead of delivering a memorized monologue if you are in doubt about the effect you have secured repeat it to a friend and ask him if it sounds like memorized words if it does it is wrong a similar case jack i hear you have gone and done it yes i know most fellows will went and tried it once myself sir though you see i'm single still and you met her did you tell me down at newport last july and resolved to ask the question at a soiree so did i i suppose you left the ballroom with its music and its light for they say love's flame is brightest in the darkness of the night well you walked along together overhead the starlit sky and i'll bet old man confess it you were frightened so was i so you strolled along the terrace saw the summer moonlight pour all its radiance on the waters as they rippled on the shore till at length you gathered courage when you saw that none was nay did you draw her close and tell her that you loved her so did i well i needn't ask you further and i'm sure i wish you joy think i will wander down and see you when you are married eh my boy when the honeymoon is over and you are st- settled down we will try what the deuce you say rejected you rejected so was i anonymous the necessity for changing pitch is so self evident that it should be grasped and applied immediately however it requires patient drill to free yourself from monotony of pitch in the natural conversation you think of an idea first and then find words to express it in memorized speeches you are liable to speak the words and then think what they mean and many speakers seem to trouble very little even about that is it any wonder that reversing the process should reverse the result get back to nature in your methods of expression read the following selection in a non challant manner never pausing to think what the words really mean try it again carefully studying the thought you have assimilated believe the idea desire to express it effectively and imagine an audience before you look them earnestly in the face and repeat this truth if you follow directions you will note that you have made many changes of pitch after several readings it is not work that kills men it is worry work is healthy you can hardly put more upon a man than he can bear worry is rust upon the blade it is not the revolution that destroys the machinery but the friction henry ward beecher 
change of pitch produces emphasis. This is a highly important statement. Variety in pitch maintains the hearer's interest, but one of the surest ways to compel attention to secure unusual emphasis is to change the pitch of your voice suddenly and in a marked degree. A great contrast always arouses attention. White shows whiter against black. A cannon roars louder in the Sahara silence than in the Chicago hurly-burly. These are simple illustrations of the power of contrast. What is Congress going to do next? High pitch. I do not know. Low pitch. By such sudden change of pitch during the sermon, Dr. Newell Dewitt Hillis recently achieved great emphasis and suggested the gravity of the question he had raised. The foregoing order of pitch change might be reversed, be with equally good effect, though with a slight change in seriousness. Either mood produces emphasis when used intelligently, that is, with a common sense appreciation of the sort of emphasis to be attained. In attempting these contrasts of pitch, it is important to avoid unpleasant extremes. Most speakers pitch their voices too high. One of the secrets of Mr. Bryan's eloquence is his low bell like voice. Shakespeare said that a soft, gentle, low voice was an excellent thing in women. It is no less so in man, for a voice needs to be blatant to be powerful and must not be to be pleasing. In closing, let us emphasize anew the importance of using variety of pitch. You sing up and down the scale, first touching one note and then another above or below it. Do likewise in speaking. Thought and individual taste must generally be your guide as to where to use a low, moderate or a high pitch. Remember that two sentences or two parts of the same sentence which contains changes of thought cannot possibly be given effectively in the same key. Let us repeat, every big change of thought requires a big change of pitch. What the beginning student will think are big changes of pitch will be monotonously alike. Learn to speak some thoughts in a very high tone, other in a, in a very low, very, very low tone. Develop range. It is almost impossible to use too much of it. I would call him Napoleon, but Napoleon made his way to empire over broken oaths and through a sea of blood. This man never broke his word. No retaliation was his great motto and the rule of his life and the last words uttered to his son in France were these, My boy, you will one day go back to Santo Domingo. Forget that France murdered your father. I would call him Cromwell. But Cromwell was only a soldier and the state he founded went down with him into his grave. I would call him Washington, but the great Virginian held slaves. This man risked his empire rather than permit the slave trade in the humblest village of his dominions. Wendell Phillips Tossent L. Overture Chapter 5 Efficiency Through Change of Pace 
The Latins have bequitted to us a word that has no precise equivalent in our tongue. Therefore, we have accepted it. Body unchanged. It is the word tempo and means rate of movement as measured by the time consumed in executing that movement. Thus, fair its use has been largely limited to the vocal and musical arts, but it is would not be surprising to hear tempo applied to more concrete matters for it perfectly illustrates the real meaning of the word to say that an ox cart moves in slow tempo, an express train in a fast tempo, or guns that fire 600 times a minute shoot at a fast tempo, the old muzzle loader that required 3 minutes load shot at a slow tempo every musician understands this principle it requires longer to sing a half note than it does an eighth tone now tempo is a tremendously important element in good platform work for when a speaker delivers a whole address at very nearly the same rate of speed he is depriving himself of one of his chief means of emphasis and power the baseball pitcher, the bowler in cricket, the tennis server all know the value of change of pace, change of tempo in delivering their ball and so must the public speaker observe its power. Change of tempo lends naturalness to the delivery. Naturalness or at least seeming naturalness as was explained in the chapter on monotony is greatly to be desired and a continual change of tempo will go a long way towards establishing it. There is however a more fundamental and effective source at which to study naturalness, a trait which one lost is shy to recapture that source is the common conversation of any well-bred circle. This is the standard we strive to reach on both stage and platform with certain differences of course, which will appear as we go on. If speaker and actor were to reproduce with absolute fidelity every variation of utterance, every whisper, grunt, pause, silence and explosion of conversation as we find it typically in everyday life, much of the interest would leave the public utterance. Naturalness in public address is something more than faithful reproduction of nature. It is the reproduction of those typical parts of nature's work which are truly representative of the whole. The realistic story writer understands this in writing dialogue and we must take it into account in seeking for naturalness through change of tempo. Suppose you speak the first of the following sentences in a slow tempo, the second quickly observing how natural is the effect. Then speak both with the same rapidity and then and note the difference. I can't recall what I did with my knife. Oh, now I remember I gave it to Mary. What we see here that a change of tempo often occurs in the same sentence for tempo applies not only a single words, groups of words and groups of sentences, but to the major parts of a public speech as well. Change of tempo prevents monotony. The canary in the cage before the window is adding to the beauty and charm of his singing by a continual change of tempo. Imagine a song written with but quarter notes. Imagine an auto with only one speed. Change of tempo produces emphasis. Any big change of tempo is empathic and will catch attention. You may scarcely be conscious that a passenger train is moving when it is flying over the rails at 90 miles an hour but if it slows down very suddenly to a 10 mile gait your attention will be drawn it to very decidedly 
you may get that you are listening to music as at you dine and let the orchestra either increase or diminish its tempo in a very marked degree and your attention will be arrested at once this same principle will procure emphasis in a speech if you have a point that you want to bring home to your audience forcefully make a sudden and great change of tempo and they will be powerless to keep from paying attention to that point thought rather than rules must govern you while practicing change of pace it is often a matter of no consequence which part of a sentence is spoken slowly and which is given in fast tempo the main thing to be desired is the change itself many passages cannot be changed to a slow tempo without destroying their force be careful in regulating your tempo not to get your movement too fast this is a common fault with amateur speakers mrs sedon's rule was take time 100 years ago there was used in medical circles a preparation known as the shotgun remedy it was a mixture of about 50 different ingredients and was given to the patient in the hope that at least one of them would prove efficacious that mean that seems a rather poor scheme for medical practice but it is good to use shotgun tempo for most speeches as it gives a variety tempo like diet is best when mixed practice the following selection nothing carefully noting carefully where the tempo may be changed to advantage experiment making numerous changes dedication of gettysburg cemetery four score and seven years ago our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal now we are engaged in a great civil war testing whether the that nation or any nation so conceived and is dedicated can long endure we are met on a great battlefield of that war we are met to dedicate a portion of it is as the final resting place of those who have given their lives that that nation might live it is all together fitting the uh, fitting and proper that we should do this but in a larger sense we cannot dedicate we cannot consecrate we cannot hallow this ground the brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our power to add or to detract the world will very little note nor long remember what we say here but it can never forget what they did here it is for us the living rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work they have thus far so nobly carried on it is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they have for which they here gave the last full measure of devotion that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain that the nation shall under god have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people by the people for the people shall not perish from the earth abraham lincoln pause and power pause has a distinctive value expressed in silence in other words 
while the voice is waiting the music of the movement is going on to manage it which it delicacies and compensations requires that the same fineness of ear on which we must depend for all faultless prose rhythm when there is no compensation when the pause is inadvertent there is a sense of jottling and lack as if some pin or fastening had fallen out pause in public speech is not mere silence it is silence made designately eloquent when a man says i uh, it is with profound a uh, pleasure that i that er i have been permitted to speak to you tonight and uh, uh, i should say er that is not pausing that is stumbling it is conceivable that a speaker may be effective in spite of stumbling but never because of it on the other hand one of the most important means of developing power in public speaking is to pause either before or after or both before and after an important word or phase no one who would be a forceful speaker can afford to neglect this principle one of the most significant that has ever been inferred from listening to great orators study this potential device until you have absorbed and assimilated it it would seem that this principle of rhetorical pause ought to be easily grasped 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 and applied but a long experience in training both college men and maturer speakers has demonstrated that the device is no more readily understood by the average man when it is first explained to him that if it is word spoken in hindustani perhaps this is because we do not eagerly devour the fruit of experience when it is impressively set before us on the platter of authority we like to pluck fruit and for ourselves it not only tastes better but we never forget that tree fortunately this is no difficult task in this instance for the trees for the trees stand thick all about us one man is pleading the cause of another this man my friends has made this wonderful sacrifice for you and me did not pause surprisingly enhance the power of this statement see how he gathered up reserve force and impressiveness to deliver the words for you and me repeat this sentence without making a pause did it lose in effectiveness naturally enough during a premeditated pause of this kind the mind of the speaker is concentrated on the thought to which he is about to give him expression he will not dare to allow his thoughts to wander for an instant he will rather supremely center his thought and his emotion upon the sacrifice whose service sweetness and divinity he is enforcing by his appeal concentration then is a big word here no pause without it can perfectly hit the mark efficient pausing accomplishes one of all the four results pause enables the mind of the speaker to gather his forces before delivering the final volley it is often dangerous to rush into battle without pausing for preparation or waiting for recruits consider 
Custard's mask here as an instance. You can light a match by holding it beneath a lens and concentrating the sun's rays. You would not expect the match to flame if you jerked the lens back and forth quickly. Pause and the lens gathers the heat. Your thoughts will not set fire to the minds of your hearers unless you pause to gather the force that comes by a second or two of concentration. Maple trees and gas wells are rarely tapped continually. When a stronger flow is wanted, a pause is made. Nature has time to gather her reserve forces and when the tree or the well is reopened, a stronger flow is the result. Use the same common sense with your mind if you would make a thought particularly effective. Pause just before its utterance, concentrate your mind energies and then give it expression with renewed vigor. Carlyle was right. Speak not, I passionately entreat thee, till thy thought has silently matured in itself. Out of silence comes thy strength. Speech is silvern, Sil silence is golden. Speech is human, silence is divine. Silence has been called the father of speech. It should be. Too many of our public speeches have no fathers. They ramble along without pause or break, like Tennyson's brook. They run on forever. Listen to little children, the policeman on the corner, the family conversation around the table and see how many pauses they naturally use. For they are unconscious of effects. When we get before an audience, we throw most of our natural methods of expression to the wind and strive after artificial effects. Get back to the methods of nature and pause. Pause prepares the mind of the auditor to receive your message. Herbert Spencer said that all the universe is in motion. So it is and all perfect motion is rhythm. Part of rhythm is rest. Rest follows activity all through nature. Instances day and night, spring, summer, autumn, winter. A period of rest between breaths, an instant of complete rest between heart beats. Pause and give the attention powers of your audience a rest. What you say after such a silence will then have a great deal more effect. When your country cousins come to town, the noise of a passing car will awaken them. Though it sold him affects see a seasoned city dweller. By the continual passing of cars, his attention power has become deadened. In one who visits the city about but sold him, attention value is insistent. To him, the noise comes after a long pause. Hence, its power. To you, dweller in the city, there is no pause, hence the low attention value. After riding on a train several hours, you will become so accustomed to its roar that it will lose its attention value. Unless the train should stop for a while and start again. If you attempt to listen to a clock tick, that is so far away that you can barely hear it. You will find that at times you are unable to distinguish but it. But in a few moments the sound becomes distinct again. 
your mind will pause for rest whether you desire it to do or so do so or not the attention of your audience will act in quite the same way recognize this law and prepare for it by pausing let it be repeated the thought that follows a pause is much more dynamic than if no pause had occurred what is said to you of a night will not have the same effect on your mind as if it had been uttered in the morning when your attention had been lately refreshed by the pause of sleep we are told on the first page of the bible that even the creative energy of god rested on the seventh day you may be sure then that the frail finite mind of your audience will likewise demand rest observe nature study her laws and obey them in your speaking pause creates effective suspense suspense is responsible for a great share of our interest in life it will be the same with your speech a play of novel is often robbed of much of its interest if you know the plot beforehand we like to keep guessing as the outcome the ability to create suspense is part of women's power to hold the other sex the circus acrobat employs this principle when he fails purposely in several attempts to perform a feat and then achieves it even the deliberate manner in which he arranges the preliminaries increases our expectation we like to be kept waiting in the last act of the play polly of the circus there is a circus scene in which a little dog turns a backward somersault on the back of a running pony one night when he hesitated and had to be coaxed and worked with a long time before he would perform his feat he got a great deal more applause than when he did his trick at once we not only like to wait but we appreciate what we wait for if fish bite too readily the sport soon ceases to be a sport it is this same principle of suspense that holds you in a sherlock holmes story you wait to see how the mystery is solved and if it is solved too soon you throw down the tale unfinished wilkie collins receipt receipt for fiction writing will applies to public speech make him laugh make him weep make him wait above all else make him make them wait if they will not do that you may be sure they will neither laugh nor weep thus pause is a valuable instrument in the hands of a trained speaker to arouse and maintain suspense we won we once heard mr brian in brian in a speech it was my privilege to hear and he paused while the audience wondered for a second whom it was his privilege to hear the great evangelist and he paused again we knew a little more about the man he had heard but still wondered to which evangelist he referred and then he concluded du- dwight l moody mr brian paused slightly again and continued 
I became to regard him. Here he paused again and held the audience in a brief moment of suspense as to how he had regarded Mr. Moody, then continued as the greatest preacher of his day. Let the dashes illustrate pauses and we have the following. It was my privilege to hear the great evangelist Dwight L. Moody. I came to regard him as the greatest preacher of the, his day. The unskilled speaker would have rattled this off with neither pause nor suspense and the sentences would have fallen flat upon the audience. It is precisely the application of these small things that makes much of the difference between the successful and unsuccessful speaker. Pausing after an important idea gives it time to penetrate. Any Missouri farmer will tell you that a rain that falls too fast will run off into the creeks and do the crops but little good. A story is told of a country deacon praying for rain in this manner. Lord, don't send us any chunk floater. Just give us a day old drizzle drazzle. A speech like a rain will not do anything much good if it comes too fast to soak in. The farmer's wife's allow follows the same principle in doing her washing when she puts the clothes into water and pauses for several hours that the water may soak in. The physician puts cocaine on your turbinates and pauses to let it take hold before he removes them. Why do we use this principle everywhere except in the communication of ideas? If you have given the audience a big idea, pause for a second or two and let them turn it over. See what effect it has. After the smoke clears away, you may have to fire another 14-inch shell on the same subject before you demolish the citadel of error that you are trying to destroy. Take time. Don't let your speech resemble those tourists who try to do New York in a day. They spend 15 minutes looking at the masterpieces in the Metropolitan Museum of Arts, 10 minutes in the Museum of Natural History, take a peep into the aquarium, hurry across the Brooklyn Bridge, rush up to the zoo and back by Grant's tomb, and call that seeing New York. If you hasten by your important points without pausing, your audience will have just about as adequate an idea of what you have tried to convey. Take time. You have just as much of it as our richest multimillionaire. Your audience will wait for you. It is a sign of smallness to hurry. The great redwood trees of California had burst through the soil 500 years before Socrates drank his cup of hemlock poison and are only in their prime today. Nature shames us with our petty haste. Silence is one of the most eloquent things in the world. Master it and use it through pause. In the following selections, dashes have been inserted where pauses may be used effectively. Naturally, you may omit some of these and insert others without going wrong. One speaker would interpret a passage in one way, another one in another and it is largely a matter of personal preference. 
A dozen great actors have played Hamlet well and yet each has played the part differentially. differently. Which comes the near to perfection is a question of opinion. You will succeed best by daring to follow your own course if you are individual enough to blaze an original trail. A moment's halt. A momentary taste of being from the well amid the waste. And lo, the phantom caravan has reached. The nothing it set out from. Oh, make haste, the worldly hope men set their hearts upon. Turn ashes, or it prospers, and anon like snow upon the desert's, study, desert's dusty face. Lighting a little hour or two is gone. The bird of time has but a little way to flutter. And the bird is on the wing. You will note that the punctuation marks have nothing to do with the pausing. You may run by a period very quickly and make a long pause where there is no kind of punctuation. Thought is greater than punctuation. It must guide you in your pauses. A book of verses underneath the bogue. A jug of wine, a loaf of bread. And thou beside me singing in the wilderness. Oh! Wilderness were paradise and all. You must not confuse the pause for emphasis with the natural pause that come through taking breath and phrasing. For example, note the pauses indicated in the selection from Byron. But, hush, hark, that deep sound breaks in once more, and nearer, clearer, deadlier than before, arm, arm, it is. It is the cannon's opening roar. It is not necessary to dwell at length upon these obvious distinctions. You will observe that in natural conversation our words are gathered into cluster or phases and we often pause to take a breath between them. So in public speech, breathe naturally and do not talk until you must gasp for breath. Not until the audience is equally winded. A, a serious word of caution must here be uttered. Do not overwork the pause. To do so will make your speech heavy and stilted. And do not think that pause can transmute commonplace thoughts into great and dignified utterance. A grand manner combined with significant ideas is like harnessing a Hamletonian with an ass. You remember the farcical old school declamation, a midnight murder that proceeded in Grandoy's manner to a thrilling climax and ended. 
and relentlessly murdered a mosquito. The pause dramatically handled always drew a laugh from the tolerant hearers. This is all very well in farce. But such anticlimax becomes painful when the speaker falls from the sublime to the ridiculous quite unintentionally. The pause to be effective in some other manner than in that of the boomerang must precede or follow a thought that is really worthwhile, or at least an idea whose bearing upon the rest of the speech is important. William Pittinger relates in his volume, Extempore speech, an instance of the unconsciously farcical use of the pause by a really great American statesman and orator. He had visited Niagara Falls and was to make an oration at Buffalo the same day, but unfortunately he sat too long over the wine after dinner. When he arose to speak, the orator, the orator, the oratorical instinct struggled with difficulties as he declared, Gentlemen, I have been to look upon your mag, mag, magnificent cataract, one hundred and forty-seven feet high. Gentlemen, Greece and Rome in their palmiest days never had a cataract and cataract one hundred and forty seven feet high efficiency through inflection herbert spencer remarked that cadence by which he meant the modulation of the tones of the voice in speaking is the running commentary of the emotions upon the propositions of the intellect how true this is will appear when they reflect that the little upward and downward shadings of the voice tell more truly what we mean than our words. The expressiveness of language is literally multiplied by this subtle power to shade the vocal tones and this voice shading we call inflection. The change of pitch within a word is even more important because more delicate than the change of pitch from phrase to phrase. Indeed, one cannot be practiced without the other. The bare words are only so many bricks. Inflection will make of them a pavement, a garage or a cathedral. It is the power of inflection to change the meaning of words that give birth to the old saying. It is not so much what you say as how you say it. Mrs. Jameson's The Shakespearean Commentator has given us a penetrating example of the effect of inflection. In her, in, in her impersonation of the part of Lady Macbeth, Mrs. Siddons adopted successively three different annotations in giving the words, We feel, at first, a quick contemptuous interrogation, We feel. Afterwards, with the note of admiration, we fail. An ascent of indignant astonishment laying the principal emphasis on the word, we, we fail. Lastly, she fixed on what I am convinced is the true reading. We fail with the simple period modulating the voice to a deep, low, resolute tone, which settles the issue at once as though she had said. 
If we fail, why then we fail and all is over. This most expressive element of our speech is the last to be mastered in attaining the naturalness in speaking a foreign language. And its correct use is the main element in a natural, flexible utterance of our native tongue. Without varied inflection, speech becomes wooden and monotonous. There are but two kinds of inflection, the rising and the falling. Yet these two may be so shaded or so combined that they are capable of producing as many varieties of modulation as may be illustrated by either one or two lines straight or curved thus. Sharp rising, long rising, level, long falling, sharp falling, sharp rising and falling, sharp falling and rising, hesitating. These may be varied indefinitely and serve merely to illustrate what wide varieties of combination may be affected by these two simple inflections of the voice. It is impossible to tabulate the various inflections which serve to express various shades of thought and feeling. A few suggestions are offered here together with abundant exercises for practice, but the only real way to master inflection is to observe experiment and practice. For example, take the common sentence, oh, he's all right. Note how a rising inflection may be made to express faint praise or polite doubt or uncertainty of opinion. Then note how the same word spoken with a generally falling inflection may denote certainty or good-natured approval or enthusiastic praise and so on. In general, then we find that a bending upward of the voice will suggest doubt and uncertainty, while a decided falling inflection will suggest that you are certain of your ground. Students dislike to be told that their speeches are not so bad, spoken with a rising inflection. To enunciate these words with a long falling inflection would endorse the speech rather heartily. Say goodbye to an imaginary person whom you expect to see again tomorrow. Then to a dear friend you never expect to meet again. Note the difference in inflection. I have had a delightful time when spoken at the termination of a formal tea by a frivolous woman takes altogether different inflection than the same words spoken between lovers who have enjoyed themselves. Mimic the two characters in repeating this and observe the difference. Note how light and short the inflections are in the following brief quotations from Anthony the Absolute by Samuel Mervyn. At sea, March 28th, this evening I told Sir Robert, what's his name, he was a fool. I was quite right in this, he is. Every evening since the ship left Vancouver, he has presided over the round table in the middle of the smoking room. There he sips his coffee and liqueur and holds forth on every subject known to the mind of the man. Each subject in his subject, he is an elderly person with a bad face and a dropping and a drooping left eyelid. They tell me that he is in the British service, a judge somewhere down in Malaysia where they drink more than is a good for them. Deliver the two following selections with great 
earnestness and note how the inflections differ from the foregoing then reread these selections in a light superficial manner note that the change of attitude is expressed through a change of inflection when i read a sublime fact in plutarch or an unselfish deed in a line of poetry or thrill beneath some heroic legend it is no longer fairyland i have seen it matched thought is deeper than all speech feeling deeper than all thought souls to souls can never teach what unto themselves was taught it must be made perfectly clear that inflection deals mostly in subtle delicate shading within single words and is not by any means accomplished by a general rise or fall in the voice in speaking a sentence yet certain sentences may be effectively delivered with just such inflection try this sentence in several ways making no modulation until you come to the last two syllables as indicated and yet i told him this tingly tingly and yet i had told him this now try the sentence by inflecting the important words so as to bring out various shades of meaning the first forms illustrated show change of pitch within a single word the forms you will work on yourself should show a number of such inflections throughout the sentence one of the chief means of securing emphasis is to employ a long falling inflection on the empathic words that is to let the voice fall to a lower pitch on an interior vowel sound in a word try it on the words every and destroy use long falling inflections on the italicized words in the following selection nothing their empathic power are there are other words here that long falling inflections would help you help to make expressive be careful not to over inflect too much modulation produces an unpleasant effect of artificiality like a mature martrem trying to be kittenish it is a short step between true expression and unintentional world's cue scrutinize your own tones take a single expression like oh no or oh i see or indeed and by patient self examination see how many shades of meaning may be expressed by inflection this sort of common sense practice will do you more good than a book of rules but don't forget to listen to your own voice selections for practice in the following selections secure emphasis by means of long falling inflections rather than loudness repeat these selections attempting to put into practice all the technical principles that we have thus far had emphasizing important words subordinating unimportant words variety of pitch changing tempo pause and inflection if these principles are applied you will have no trouble with monotony constant practice will give great facility in the use of inflection and will render the voice itself flexible charles fun we charge him with having broken his coronation oath we are and we are told that he kept his marriage vow we accuse him of having given up his people to the merciless inflections of the most hot-headed and hard hearted of prelates 
and the defense is that he took his little son on his knee and kissed him. We censure him for having violated the articles of the Petition of Right after having for good and valuable consideration promised to observe them. And we are informed that he was accustomed to hear prayers at six o'clock in the morning. It is so it is to such considerations as these together with his Van Dyke dress, his handsome face and his peaked beard uh, that he owes, we verily believe most of this popularity with the present generation. Abraham Lincoln we needed not that he should put on paper that he believed in slavery, who with treason, with murder, with cruelty, informal hovered around that majestic man to destroy his life. He was himself but the long sting with which slavery struck at liberty, and he carried the poison that belonged to slavery. As long as this nation lasts, it will never be forgotten that we have one martyred, martyred president never, never while time lasts, while heaven lasts, while hell rocks and groans, will it be forgotten that slavery by its minions slew him and in slaying him made manifest its whole nature and tendency. The history of liberty, the evident which we commemorate 